Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. And I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. We're podcasting from Northeast Ohio. This is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of our series, Race and Democracy in Northeast Ohio, a collaboration with the School of Peace and Conflict Studies and the Center for Pan-African Culture at Kent State University. The project includes a 10-podcast episode series focused specifically on the intersections of race and democracy in Northeast Ohio. We're also planning community workshops on the topic of race and democracy and developing online curricular materials like activities, toolkits, concept pages, and so on. This series is made possible with funding from Mark Lewine and the John Gray Painter Program. Check out our website to learn more about our upcoming events, especially our Flash Focus film um, event series that's coming up, and stay up to date on new content. You can find us at www.growingdemocracyoh.org. You sure can, Ashley. <laughs> and and let me tell you, so it's nice to be back in the in the studio with you, the studio being our homes. Um but it, so I'm gonna. I want to start off with a, a funny thing that I saw, just because it segues into what I think is the theme of this episode. So SNL had um, not this last weekend, but the weekend before, um, Zoe Kravitz on as the guest star, and one of the skits that they did was about Amazon Go, which is this new Amazon-run grocery store where you can just walk in, you scan like your phone, and then you pick up things off the shelf. And then you just walk out of the store. And of course, yeah, there's the like four is, bajillion cameras. Right. So but the sketch, of course, is about, you know, black people shopping here. And that that seems awfully suspicious. Like they're just going to get caught for shoplifting because as black individuals, that doesn't seem like a really good activity to engage in, to just trust that technology is, you know, creepy created of course by white people predominantly i would assume and that i think the writers of the sketch assumed didn't didn't really feel like a great setup for them and it, it, it this this sketch kept running through my mind as we're recording this episode because here we have two students talking about right their their identities and how you know especially being students of color how that kind of shifted not only the way you know definitely that they felt that the world perceived them, but also that they perceived the world and that this was really um, divorced from, in many ways, you know, kind of what uh, their their colleagues, their, their, the white students that they go to school with uh, didn't perceive the world in a very similar way. Uh, and so it was just, to me, a really great opportunity to hear two students share this experience and perspective from kind of two different, I think, uh, but very similarly shaded lenses. Yeah. And just to add a little uh, richness to that, one of the things that I particularly liked about our conversation um, that I will momentarily introduce the amazing guests that we have um, was kind of contextualizing that on top of then their activism and their organizing work, right? So how um, uh, being students of color led them to organizing how they how their identities as students of color um, impacted their organizing, but also then how being students of color who are organizers has also shaped how the rest of the world views them. Um, I think is a really powerful kind of way of kind of for us uh, on the race and democracy project um, series side of the Great Democracy Project. Um, 
can really think about kind of that intersection of identities and activism and democracy building and how that, you know, it's a, it's an evolving space, right? It's not static. Um, and I, I, I really appreciated the, the richness of the, the stories that our guests told. So today we have with us um, two amazing people. Um, we have Aki Butler and Eric Gomez. Um, so Aki Butler is an alumnus of Kent State University with a degree in journalism. And during his time at Kent State, he acted as a DJ and as the marketing director of Black Squirrel Radio. However, he found his real passion when he joined the political student organization, Black United Students. Since graduating, he's become involved with the mutual aid organization, the Community Care Collective, while also working as an organizer for the Ohio Student Association, a political home for young people. And the other person we have with us um, is also our Race and Democracy intern with the Growing Democracy Project, so it's really exciting. Um, to be able to have him on as a guest is Eric Gomez. Uh, Eric Gomez is a junior majoring in political science. He serves as the director of governmental affairs for undergraduate uh, student government at Kent State. And in this role, he leads the Kent State Votes Initiative, where he collaborates with students, faculty, and staff to get students to register to vote. Um, and Eric also advocates for students by tracking legislation that may affect the student body. Eric is currently tracking Ohio House Bills 322 and 327, which is aimed to criminalize teaching diversity, race, and quote-unquote divisive concepts in K-12 schools and universities, a topic that we definitely discuss in this episode. Well, it's great for both of you to be able to join us today, um, and I guess we should start off where we always start off. Can you each tell us a little bit about yourselves? Aki, did you want to start us off? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, let's see. My name is, as you all know, Aki. Um, I am currently 25 years old. I um, graduated from college in 2019. Um, I'm also... Sorry, I'm also a Sagittarius, so it's always really fun. I always like to give my big three. I'm a, I'm a Sag Sun, a Capricorn Moon, and an Aquarius Rising. And it's kind of cool because they're like each right after each other, like so. Yeah, but yeah, that's basically me <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Eric, how about you? Yeah, so my name is Eric Gomez. I'm the director of governmental affairs for undergraduate student government. I also serve as the race and democracy intern for the Growing Democracy Project. And a lot of the work that I have done this past year in undergraduate student government has been advocacy against um, against the passage of House Bill 327. Yeah, we'll definitely get into what House Bill 327 is uh, in a second. But I really actually want to ask a little bit more about you all and your experiences as students um, and as students um, at, you know, students of color at a predominantly white institution. Um, for our listeners, um, sometimes that's shortened to PWI. Um, but, you know, Aki, would you kind of get us started in, in, in responding? Like, how has, you know, thinking about your experiences as a student of color at a PWI informed some of the work that you're doing now? Yeah, no, for sure. So, like, my experience, I would say, was sort of, like, a strange one. 
but it wasn't too bad. Um, being at like being at a PWI it can kind of be like sort of like a cultural shock. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, oh, whoa, like that's that kind of how it was kind of like that for me for a bit. Um, but it wasn't like all bad. Like um, I did make friends, of course. I got involved in different things, but it was a bit of a I would say a culture shock. And then just different things of like, I would say of maybe how people may have perceived me. Um, And then I felt like another issue that I sort of learned is like, I kind of struggled at first to sort of find my escape friend group. Um, Being a black student at a PWI, like I have friends of all races, but I would say almost every black student has that like black friend group they escape to just because it's like, you can relate to, there's certain things you can relate to and certain things as far as like just different culture things. And it took me a minute to find that actually, but luckily I did find it. And I was like, okay, bet we're here. We can do this. But I would say um, being at a PWI as a black student definitely opened my eyes to a lot of things. And it definitely was like, I want to say one of the main reasons I felt like I got into like the organizing career career path only because like there was a certain things that happened where I would see or like certain things that happened or certain issues that came up that I felt like maybe affected um, black students or or students of color more than others. And I felt like they would sort of be ignored. And I was like, okay, well, maybe now that I'm in this role, I can sort of breathe through life into them or amplify the voices. So, yeah. Eric, do you want to respond as well? Yeah. So um, all my life, I grew up in South Florida and there were a lot of people that looked like me, um, a lot of people that were Hispanic and that came from South America. So coming to Kent, I actually came in um, through the KT orientation program. So for those who don't know, it's a multicultural mm-hmm. orientation uh, for students before school starts. And I feel like that really helped me find a sense of community because I definitely felt um, a culture shock when that program ended and then school started and almost nobody looked like me. And I think another thing that not a lot of people talk about is, you know, being Hispanic, not only am I a minority, but I'm also a minority within a minority um, because there's um, not to say there's a big black population, but compared to Hispanic students, um, there is a much bigger black population. So just, trying to find my place and trying to find people that I can relate to culturally definitely was a challenge, but I definitely found my place. Yeah, I know moving here from Arizona, which does not have a large black population at all, but has an extremely large uh, Hispanic population. Um, and, and I'm white. Uh, it was, it was odd. It was, it was very, so I'm sure, Eric, for you, uh, that that was a, a, a pretty large culture shock. Aki, did you go to high school here in Ohio? I did, actually. So I went to Hubbard High School, um, which is, it's, it's in Hubbard, Ohio, which I basically just say it's in Youngstown because... I mean, I, my street was Youngstown Hubbard Road. I mean, like, I walked down the street, I'm back in Youngstown. So, yeah. So, um, and the crazy thing it was, was, like, Hubbard, I would actually say maybe Hubbard also kind of prepared me to go to a PWI because, again, that was, a, a like, a predominantly white high school. But, however, like, but outside of, like, being in high school, I would be with my friends or my family, and they're, they're all people who look like me. So then it was, like, going to, like, that, 
So with high school being like, oh, I only see you guys for like, you know, eight hours a day to like, and then being like with everyone else around me, I guess. And then going to like Kent State and it's like, oh no, this is like this 24-7. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. But like I said, it sort of prepared me for that as well. Now that you're graduated, have you found uh, your that the place or space that you've put yourself in looks different uh, compared to what you thought it would? Yes and no. Um, that's a great question. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes and no. So I feel like I always like. I like seek out, like when I seek out like friendships and different groups and stuff, like I sort of seek out folks who have like similar interests in me, like like similar interests like I do. For instance, like I really love music, like video games, I like all that. So I seek out those friend groups and just different stuff like that. And even in work, but I feel like in my work life, it's still very much sort of like PWI, like silver as I'm sort of like in a PWI. However, in my social life, I feel like it's very much like, you know, just everybody, like non-PWI, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. So one of the things we've, we've, we started talking a little bit about um, both of you uh, um, identifying as stu- uh, students of color, um, you know, being at a predominantly white institution, and you've both alluded to so far your activism and advocacy work, right? So Aki, you're an organizer. Eric, you're um, in student government and you're doing a lot of organizing work um, in the work that you're doing, right? And so because of the the topic of this podcast around race and democracy, I'm really curious if you all, you know, consider yourself um, working in the space of racial justice. And if so, what is racial justice to you? Eric, do you want to go first this time? Since <laughs> um, No, I, I definitely think that's a really important question. Um, I guess to start off, I think uh, what a lot of people don't realize about the activism that I do is that I'm doing activism in order to help students who look like me, like other students of color. And mm-hmm. I think that that work gets very emotionally draining because it does personally affect me. And I think something that's not talked about a lot is the fact that um, when someone who isn't of color, like a white person, they advocate for an issue, then they're praised, they're put on the newspapers, um, they're talked about. But then when we do the advocacy work, then we're kind of behind the scenes doing all the dirty work and we don't usually get as recognized. And I definitely felt that this year doing a lot of the groundwork around advocating against House Bill 327, but then some of my white counterparts getting a lot more attention than I am, even though I did a lot of the work, if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so I, maybe we can... Uh, jump into because you you alluded to 327 before and and we just brought it up now so maybe we can jump to that question so both of you have done a lot of work surrounding right these the the recent spate of ohio legislation uh which attempts to ban crt as it's i guess euphemistically called now a critical race theory um one of those bills being house bill uh, 327 why did you guys get involved in this effort and kind of talk about the genesis of how you got involved. I don't know. Let's start with Eric again. 
So as the director of governmental affairs for undergraduate student government, I'm responsible for tracking state legislation that affects the student body and making sure that we're advocating for the best interests of students. Now, House Bill 327 limits how teachers can teach certain concepts. So for example, teaching something from the perspective of a marginalized person, um, the quote unquote divisive concepts that's intentionally vague in the legislation, and also threatening to take away state funding from institutions like state universities if they don't comply. I knew that that legislation would be harmful to us as college students. So I worked with undergraduate student government. I did my research. I worked with my colleagues. I unanimously passed a resolution condemning this bill. And after that, we continued the work that we needed to do. I got together with my committee. I worked with administration. I organized an advocacy trip to the state house because I thought it was important that our legislators look us college students in the eye when we tell them, we don't support this. We want you to vote no on this legislation. It's harmful to freedom of speech. It's harmful to us as college students. Now, Aki, how did you get involved in this legislation? And maybe you can kind of walk us through some of the issues uh, surrounding well, if this gets passed and, and signed. Yeah, for sure. So um, I basically had just finished work on the transcript track um, with my organization, the Ohio Student Association. We had been partnering with Policy Matters around um, the transcript track, trying to get, like, you know, telling universities, hey, just because a student owes you money doesn't mean you can keep their transcripts. Like, <laughs> they're trying to get jobs here. So once that's sort of, like, for the most part, wrapped up, I was looking for, like, sort of, like, who should I tackle next? And I got invited to a meeting by, um, a, his name is Pete Van Leer. He works at Policy Matters. And he invited me to a meeting um, about the House bill. And I had been constantly seeing, like, these different bills just popping up all over America. And I was honestly sort of just waiting for it to just pop up here in Ohio. Because like I said, I feel like everything starts in like Texas and then somehow it's here in Ohio. So I was waiting. Once I finally got the invite, I was like, oh, bet. I'm ready. Let's go. So, yeah. Um, and that's sort of how I got started. I um, got on this coalition call with um, an org called Honesty for Ohio Education, which was like made up of like parents, um, parents, lawyers, uh, just different folks with different backgrounds, organizers that were just like, these bills are trash, uh, especially educators. So they were like, we have to get rid of them. Um, I think the biggest issues or like one of the biggest, yeah, the biggest issue with the bill is, and Eric actually brought it up, was the vague language and the broad language. Um, one, they did a very smart thing by calling it divisive concepts instead of CRT, because then they realized, oh, well, if we call it divisive concepts, we can, it doesn't just have to be about race now. We can talk about gender, sexuality, religion, current events. And I was like, huh, okay. And so, and then it's like, they just failed to def properly define words like promotion. Um, and I'm just like, I personally feel like if we can't all sit here, if like if everyone can't sit here and agree that the Holocaust was utterly horrible, Jim Crow and slavery was horrible, and that it should be taught from like a perspective of, well, it wasn't too bad, then that's an issue personally. Um, I feel that it was just like it's it's like the first step in what I feel is censorship of what would be next. Um, and then I just 
I think what really got to me is just when I, once I realized how vague the bills were, and then not all, especially with three twenty seven because three twenty two is also a bill, but um, and that's one that's more based on K through twelve. But then three twenty seven is just talking about state agencies and political subdivisions, and I'm like, so you're telling, and it wasn't even just like education it was talking about different trainings so it's like now we can't do cultural sensitivity and racial bias trainings we can't do sexual harassment trainings like this is just actually just going to set us up for something awful i mean so what do you two see as kind of behind why this legislation is so prevalent i mean as you said uh, many other states have passed this i mean and florida now has the don't say gay bill right so what do you think is kind of driving the the prevalence of this type of legislation aki do you want to go first and then we can jump to eric sure um i kind of have like two theories <laughs> and my theory is um the first is I feel that maybe a lot of folks realize they're on the wrong side of history, especially when it comes to different lawmakers, politicians, different things. And then they realize that the kids are growing up, they're going to school and stuff. And they're like, they're, they're, now they're starting to ask questions and they're like, well, grandpa thought like this or such and such thought like that. But I went to school and they told me like, they actually shouldn't think like that. So now they're like trying to like sort of cover their tracks. So I think that's one. And then I also think it's just like backlash to all the progress we've started to make. Um, Again, a lot of the politicians, lawmakers, legislators, they're sort of up there in age. And they're also from like a sort of a generation. And I, I don't like to use that as an excuse, but they're from like a different generation. And I think they were realizing that their way of thinking was starting to fade. And in order to preserve it, they said, well, that let's create these bills and try to like, you know, change everything because they didn't want to progress too much more, which is like you said, why I feel like they're now doing with the don't say gay bill and all of that. Yeah, Eric, what what's kind of your thoughts on this? I think legislators are trying to fix issues that are simply just not there. I feel like, so for example, I talked with one representative at the state house and they said that they don't want white people to feel guilty for something that they didn't do. Um, But the reality is that's not really what classes are doing. Classes are just trying to teach history accurately so that students know what happened. And it's important to know what happened so it doesn't repeat itself. So I think it's, not to use the word insecurity, but that's the only word that comes to mind right now. Like like legislators and security is like, oh, I don't want people to hate on white people. I don't want people to hate America or this or the other, but it's not, we shouldn't be worried about controlling what people think. We should be able to honestly educate the population and let students themselves come up with their own ideas or their own thoughts on an issue. And I'm sure there are plenty of folks out there that would love to get involved with the efforts that you guys have been uh, kind of leading on this. Is, is there any recommendations that you have for folks that uh, that are kind of compelled to get involved with this, especially when they hear what you guys have been doing? Yeah, Aki? Oh, uh, yeah. So I always tell folks, like, if you can, call your legislators, call your representatives and be like, hey, no, we don't want these bills. Um, so if you can, write testimony, write a letter, 
Um, I would also say um, I would say people check out the Honesty for Ohio Education info website. Um, really good website has excellent tools and really like can like step by step hold your hand to do like the different things that like do different things to like fight against the bills and get involved. So yeah, those are my top folks. And we will add that link in our show notes for folks that are interested. So in terms of, you know, I think there are pieces that are directed at the legislation in this moment that I think are incredibly important. Um, But I also know, Eric, you were saying that you're doing other educational stuff as well, right? So being on a college campus, doing, you know, having conversations with people around the harm that these bills could cause. Like, what is, what does that look like? How is that you know, there's kind of the legislative end around kind of the advocacy that you're doing in this moment around this very specific piece of legislation. But like, how might we like think um, about kind of facilitating conversations as well um, toward getting, changing minds as opposed to changing law? law. (laughs) I don't know if that's the way that I meant to say it, but we'll go with it. Um, Well, I think for one, it's education is just super important because I feel like unless these bills impact you personally, you don't really see much about them to be like, oh, I'm going to do something about this now. So I think it's important to engage everyone, not just um, students that are affected by the bill, because in reality, every student is affected one way or the other. Um, In terms of education, I think my next step now in undergraduate student government is focusing on voting efforts. Now, I can't tell you 100% how voting is going to look like because I know like the Supreme Court for the third time denied the maps. I don't know what's going on with all that. But it's vital, vital that everybody gets out to vote because voter turnout is just always super low. And then that's why we get representatives um, that may not be doing the job that we actually want them to. So the more people that participate in our democracy, the better representation we have overall with our voice. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, just kind of picking up from there, right? So in the Race and Democracy Project and the Growing Democracy Project more broadly, um, we're definitely interested in ways in which we can kind of mobilize and organize or help people organize around kind of racial justice, deeper democratic practices, volunteering, reaching out to your legislators, all of that amazing stuff. But I actually want to flip it back to you all and talk a little bit more about your own personal experiences, um, just to get a little bit more of a sense of who you are um, and how the work that you've been doing is shaping you. So like, can you describe for me um, how your identity as a racialized student leader, active on and off campus in, you know, political spaces, um, has affected how you see yourself. Eric, do you want to go first this time? Yeah, sure. Um, as I said before, I feel like the work can be like emotionally draining and it can also just, it just really hits on a personal level. Um, I did a lot of this work for the past few months now in undergraduate student government. And I went to the rally that undergraduate student governments co-sponsored that a key with OSA helped organize. And when I saw people there caring about what we had to say, um, putting signs up, chalking, and um, speaking up, like I was crying. Like I was really, really emotional just seeing 
that people are now like seeing how important this work is and saying, wow, our education is under attack. We need to do something about it. And the fact that like, not only is this organizing behind the scenes, now it's on the media, it's on the press, people know what's going on. And I think that's important because our representatives, you know, care about public opinion because at the end of the day, they need to get reelected into office. Aki, what about you? And I know earlier I asked about racial justice in your definition as well. So if you wanted to like wiggle that into your response around, <laughs> go for it. Okay. Um, well, I guess, I guess what I'll say about racial justice is that I just feel like, I feel like racial justice would be like, at least to me, like equity as well as liberation. Um, both of those only because I feel like there's just different things that just needs to be addressed and that need to be handled and fixed in order for us to truly like fully progress. So I guess that's what I sort of view like as racial, racial justice, everyone getting equity, but not only equity, but also the liberation. Um, as far as seeing myself as sort of like a, um, like, um, sorry, as a sort of like a racialized student um, within like organizing everything, how I see myself is, I think Eric is a thousand percent correct about saying this work is extremely draining because it is to the point it's like there's been times of like after I've done something like it takes everything in me like I know I have to do like follow up emails it'll take everything in me just to send that follow up email because I'm so drained like emotionally and physically but also I see myself as like I don't know just somebody just trying to like do anything. Because I was like, you know what? I got to stop complaining about things. I got to start taking some action. I got to at least attempt to do something. So I sort of see myself as somebody that's trying to do something, trying to help out in any way possible. Um, and with that, I mean, sometimes I see myself, and like if something doesn't go my way, I'm like, oh, why am I even doing this? I sometimes feel like a failure. But then other times I see myself and I'm like, you know what? No, I got this power. I can do this. Like, I got this. So, yeah. Does it... Uh- does your identity in this space also kind of shift how you see the campus or the world in which you're situated in? Absolutely. Um, I would say definitely absolutely. And it's, it's funny that you asked that question because like, especially being now that I'm like in this role and like also along with my identity, before I've really gotten to organizing, I just sort of just, I saw stuff and I knew stuff was wrong. And of course I said something, but I didn't really see. But now being in this role and also with my identity tied onto it, it's like, I feel like I see everything. I'm so much more observant. And I'm like, this is wrong. That's terrible. Like, no, like I can see that. Oh, this is where your system's failing. Like, I just see things a bit more clear now. And I feel like I always now see everything, not only from like, and as from like a black man's perspective, but from more of like a black organizer perspective now. It's very much more like, I'm trying to figure out where can I, where can I go and how do I sort of invade the system in order to like break it up and fix what I think needs to be fixed. You're like Neo in the matrix. I love it. Yeah, literally. Eric, how about you? Has has this has your identity here kind of changed the way that you see the the campus and the world at large? 
Um, yeah, I would say so. Um, I feel like there's just a lot of times where um, I've noticed doing advocacy work and then seeing um, my counterparts doing some advocacy work, just seeing that some students are doing it in a performative way. And it just kind of sucks seeing your peers act in a performative way and then they being praised and then you doing the nitty gritty work. And then it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> so I feel like that's definitely a huge thing that I need to learn because I, I used to take it really personally. I, I'm not gonna lie, I still do. Like, it's just kind of like, like, come on now. Like, I really wanna, wanna help. I really, and I'm intentional about actually um, putting forward the good intentions. So my identity definitely like plays a huge role in my activism, but I also need to realize that sometimes I need to take a step back because I'm not just advocating for people who look like me, I'm advocating for everyone. Yeah, that, that solidarity lens uh, that comes in um, from that organizer perspective. No, I, that's, it, it's so powerful to hear both of you tell your that part of your story. Um, and I wonder too, if, you know, your work um, in this space as a student leader has, from your perspective, shaped how people see you, right? People on campus or people in the broader community see you, um, and uh, the work that you're doing. Um, I guess I would say, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and it, it's funny because I always use my mom, but my mom was always like, oh, you're doing so great. You're doing excellent work. I'm so proud of you. And then like, now I would just clap, but like my coworkers or like students that I work with or just like the relationships I'm trying to build with the community, they see me and they're like, you're doing like great work. Like they see me as somebody that's like this powerful, powerful person or someone like, oh, he's like an expert and this and that. And I'm like, I'm going to be real. I'm kind of learning as I go here. Like I'm no I mean, same. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> literally, so it's like, I'm just learning. Like, so, but I feel people see me like that. But the one thing that people always like sort of tell me or see me as that I actually kind of hate is when they're like, you're so strong. And I'm like, I don't want to be strong. Let me be weak. Like, let me be weak sometimes. Like, I feel like it's like, I feel like I shouldn't have to be strong all of the time. It's okay to be like, you seem tired. You seem a little weak. I'm like, you're right, because I am. But like when they always tell me how strong I am and I'm so important, like it's nice, but it also I feel like it's one like more added pressure onto me because I'm like, I have to now live up to these expectations. But two, it's like I just shouldn't have to be strong and important all the time. I should be able just to be like just just there, just me, I guess. So yeah. Yeah, that authenticity of being able to go into spaces um, and and have a, a powerful statement, but doesn't necessarily mean to, that you know you're always the person that can take all of it either. If I'm hearing you correctly, Eric. Absolutely. Yeah, Eric. What about you? I feel like because of the important work I do, a lot of people look up to me, which is absolutely amazing. Like, it's great to be able to be an example for someone. Um, at the same time, it can be a little tiring because since I'm a leader, I'm under a microscope, but then since I'm a leader of color, 
then I'm under an even bigger microscope. And then when I do like a little thing wrong, then it's always like hyper-focused. And it's just, I've learned that I've had to be not perfect, but like as perfect as I can be because I am always going to be criticized as a student leader of color. But it's super rewarding being able to fight for my peers. That's the reason why I wanted to get into politics in the first place, to really make a difference. And um, even though our efforts may feel small in the grander scheme of things, it really does make a difference. Now, I I wonder if you guys could answer this question. We've had students on before. um, And so we always tend to ask some some questions about, you know, the youth, the young voters, the young activists. And I guess this is our time to do that. So what do you guys see as young voters, as young activists, as kind of the most pressing concern when we're thinking about, you know, a space of race and democracy? Um, and, and maybe that concern isn't like current legislation, but, you know, you can think kind of forward. What, what kind of t- topics or issues do you think you know, kind of t- five, 10 years down the road, we really need to kind of get to work uh, to tackle. Aki, did you want to answer first? Sure. Um, thank you so much for that question. Um, <laughs> sorry, I always do that thing, like, that'd be honest, it was just like a meme or something. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, so when thinking, like, sort of as a young voter, as a young activist, um, the most pressing concerns, like, so currently I see the, um, of course, House Bill 427. But then I see other legislation that's coming as far as, like, when it comes to um, maybe things that deal with, like, the abortion ban or things that deal with, like, how Florida has Don't Say Gay or even, like, how we literally just had a bill passed here in Ohio that now no longer requires folks to have like a concealed and carry permit. And I'm just like, huh, don't really know about that one. So when I see different legislation coming up like that, like it sort of scares me in the future for like the future, because like, I'm like, I know how this is already going to affect us as a whole. But then once you get into marginalized groups, I'm like, this is going to affect them like 10 times more. So I guess it's more so like, um, those are the things that I feel are like very pressing, very concerning. And then honestly, just if this 327 bill pass passes, I'm scared for just base like basic like DEI um things, so diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm scared for like how that's gonna look now. I'm scared for how trainings that I feel almost every whether you're corporate or nonprofit trainees that folks should take or have, I'm scared for now how that, like, are they no longer required to do that? And then we have to now look at police stations and I'm like, they can't even, like, somebody who's a sheriff now can't even be like, hey, I noticed that you guys hyper-focus on one group and villainize one group of people a lot more than the other. Let's do a training around that and so you can unlearn that behavior. The sheriff won't even be able to do that if these bills so I guess those are like the most concerning issues I would say. Yeah, I I share some of those same well all of those same concerns. <laughs> Eric, how about you? I think a really big concern that I have is just people becoming apathetic because every single day 
we are hit with like the worst news stories ever, like the worst of humanity. Um, and I feel like that definitely tires us out and it makes us numb. And then because of that, we're like, oh, well, what's the point? We can't do anything about it. The world is, you know, just going downhill. But the importance of participation is paramount. So um, if students register to vote, if community, me community members register to vote, if a big enough crowd speaks up when something bad happens, when we shake the table when we need to, I believe that we can protect our democracy because democracy is a very, very fragile thing. I think we like to uh, think of it as something that is like super strong in America. Like we are a democratic nation and nothing will change that. But the reality is that democracy is super fragile and it's up to each one of us to protect it for not only our generation, but all the generations that come after us. Couldn't agree more with both of you, actually. I'm 100% like, um, so I want to momentarily flip the script and ask you, you know, we've asked you to be vulnerable with us and to share your story. Um, do you have any questions for us? Yeah, I do actually. Um, and it's pretty much like a basic, sort of like a basic question, but I always like to um, hear folks still. So like, what was it that like got you into like this work, into these roles, if that makes sense? Yeah, uh, I'm happy to answer first. Um, I've always been really interested in vulnerable populations. Um, and for a long time, I thought that meant, you know, children and, and families uh, that were especially in economic uh, hardships. And uh, the more I studied, the more I realized that a lot of this was uh, actually, you know, societal and, and systemic structures that were kind of put in place to explicitly marginalize certain populations, especially, uh, you know, people of color and families of color. And, um, you know, a lot of my interest in public policy is how we can, uh, you know, undo <laughs> damage that's done uh, by public policy, but also how we can uh, invest in creating policy that is actually for a social good uh, rather than what I think can sometimes be a social evil. Uh, and luckily found a, a very like-minded colleague uh, in, in Ashley where we were able to discuss a lot of the uh, the things that we saw concerning, not just in spaces of public policy, but public administration as well. Yeah. So, so in some ways, my my story has is somewhat similar to Casey's. Um, but I also um, I started a as an organizer, sort of, um, and I was really interested in uh, intersectional organizing. Um, so I started in a space uh, of um, organizing around feminist um, uh, issues of uh, feminist policy um, tended to be predominantly uh, white women who would show up. Um, and I was really uncomfortable with it um, and uncomfortable with the history of many of those organizations. Um, and so, you know, 
where I think a lot of the work starts for someone that already is starting at a pace of privilege is kind of interrogating my own assumptions um, and my own biases and my own privileges. Um, and then thinking about ways that I can leverage those privileges for change um, and get the hell out of the way when I'm no longer needed. Um, and so I think that I'll, I'll kind of mention that, you know, and, and, you know, kind of segue into this project, which is Casey and I are really interested in kind of the intersections of social justice um, and grassroots democracy building and creating kind of a strong foundation of democratic practice so that we can kind of create that stronger, more durable democratic society. Um, but we also knew that a lot of our work um, was centering the voices of two white women. Um, and so we were very intentional um, about saying if there were resources available for us to do something different, then it couldn't be us. We had the resources um, because of our privilege um, and the capacity to do it because of that. Um, so we wanted to bring in people that weren't us. Um, and kind of decenter our voices. Although I just told that story, which is my voice, but um, <laughs> but it's part of the reason that we collaborate with Anuj and with Shmara, so Dr. Grung and uh, Dr. Arki um, on this project, uh, that they are central um, to co-hosting the podcast, to um, their co-PIs on the research project and community-based projects that we're working on. Um, and so, you know, taking what had been given to us um, because of the work that we have done and created um, and then saying we needed to decenter the work that we, I don't know, Casey, you want to add to that? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And bringing on podcast guests, uh, you know, that aren't, that really don't have a story like us. I mean, we don't share our stories often, I think, or intentionally, you know, or otherwise, but, um, but want to use just the, our power and, and platform to, kind of center and focus on those who who aren't like us because oftentimes those stories don't get to be um, heard or don't have a have a place uh, in in some of the at least um, you know kind of more academic uh, areas that 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 we've been exposed to so this was a, a, a good opportunity for that Eric do you have a question all right. <laughs> it's like, no. Mm -mm. Um, so we, I just want to say thank you um, for being on the podcast with us. Do you have any final words of wisdom to share with our listeners that you want them to, to take away from our conversation? I would just say to anyone who is a student leader, an activist, doing this type of work, an organizer, whatever you are, I just want to remind you that self-care is community care. You cannot take care of the community if you can't take care of yourself. I have learned that the hard way multiple times. So, yes, um, just take care of yourself. It, it is okay to say no. It is okay to just like, you know what? I get it. Like, this is very prevalent in that they can, like, for instance, with the district thing, who knows what's going on with that? But, like, anything can happen at any moment, but, like, Take care of yourself, like truly your health, not only physically, but mentally and extremely. Eric, any last words of wisdom? Um, I think it's super important when we're being activists um, to be really open-minded because sometimes we can be on the same page, but we're just not listening to each other. We're just listening to respond. 
So just being able to have open and honest dialogue and really making sure that we're utilizing the First Amendment, the free exchange of ideas, so that we get to understand each other, I think we can go a long way in advocating for everyone. Active listening. I love it. That's my takeaway. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. We really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy podcast. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan, and my co-host this week is Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is edited by Jeremy Demery at Golden Ox Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio. This series is supported by Mark LeWine and the John Gray Painter Program. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. If you want to support the podcast, as well as get access to behind-the-scenes content, live chat, swag, featuring designs by Donuts and Coffee, head over to patreon.com slash growingdemocracyoh. Join us next time when we continue this conversation about race and democracy. 